Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we have some stories from Arizona. Arizona, beautiful Arizona. This week I have the true crime story and mom has the paranormal one. I do, which also means I have the alcohol. She has the drink of drinks. So I thought it would be fun to introduce you to a tequila sunrise. I love tequila. <laughs> tequila sunrise is so pretty and it just it kind of goes with the state of Arizona. And what a perfect way to celebrate Labor Day weekend. With a tequila sunrise. Yes, fall is just around the corner. Your One favorite of our, time of the year. My favorite time of the year. But this is our last probably poolside beverage, Mom. Well, we're not actually poolside Say. while we record this. But wouldn't that be interesting? Say it isn't so, no. Well, give it a try. And then I'll tell you what's in it. All right. Cheers. Cheers. It's really pretty, though, before I drink it. It's pink on the bottom, and it literally looks like a sunrise. It's pink, and it goes to orange, and then yellow. I know. It's really it's pretty, really and pretty. I'm so impressed that I was able to actually Yeah, that one time where you like had the beer drink. <laughs> it's like, a, what was that? Oh, like yeah, a, half champagne and half Guinness. beer, yeah. And it definitely was just all brown. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is that good? Another good drink. Oh, my gosh. What is in this? I taste pineapple. Maybe orange juice. It has two ounces of tequila. Oh. Four ounces of orange juice. The or only orange juice I had on hand, which we always have on hand, is the Simply Orange Juice with Pineapple. So that's why you of taste the pineapple. Of course you have that on hand from <laughs> Mr. Margarita Captain Tommy. Oh. And then a fourth an ounce of grenadine. Ooh. And that's what makes the pretty red at the bottom. Yes. Oh, and then it also calls for orange slices and a cherry for the garnish. With we do not, not garnish, y'all. <laughs> we We're in we... for the tasting, not for the making it pretty. Yeah. So you fill the glass up with ice cubes. Okay. And then you put the splash of tequila, two ounce splash of tequila it's in. Not quite a splash. <laughs> The four ounces of the orange juice, you can mix those, but then you add the grenadine. And since the grenadine is heavier, it will sink to the bottom. Wow, we're learning and you having some scientific... Don't mix it okay. after that. That's what makes it so purdy. That, yeah, the purdy dip, sunrise. Dip. <laughs> so there you go. Well, it's incredibly tasty. It's very good. Very, very good. Might have to make you another one, huh? Yeah, probably here quickly. This is going to go down very quickly. <laughs> All right, guys, you asked for it. Another very mysterious case. This case happened in 2001 and still has yet to be solved. Hold on to your butts. Oh, I love those unsolved ones. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about Robert Fisher. I don't think I've heard of him. You should. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> you failed at your job, Mom. <laughs> the story takes place in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's a Tuesday morning, a little after 8.30, and Phil Rudd is sitting down with his cup of coffee watching TV when all of a sudden he's startled by the sound of a huge explosion. My watch just went off saying that I reached my stand goal and I am very clearly sitting. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Moving on. I was startled by my watch. He was startled by a huge explosion. <laughs> he jolts outside as quickly as he can and runs down the street to where the sound had come from. There he finds a house completely engulfed by flames. There was a 20-foot high fire spreading from the home to the surrounding homes, extending for a half mile in all directions. And 20 foot, wow. The fire department was out there within minutes tackling the flames. Quote, it took the fire department three minutes to get here, but it wouldn't have mattered. The house just self-destructed, unquote, said neighbor Steve Dergarian. They found a natural gas line had been cut. Gas was just filling the home. Oh, geez. The firefighters worked for hours on taming the flames. As they did, the investigators asked neighbors the serious questions. Who lives in the home? Where are they? Has anyone seen them? 
they learn that the home belongs to the Fisher family. There were four members of the family. Father Robert, the mother was Mary, 12-year-old daughter Brittany, and 10-year-old son Bobby. As I was reading that, that sounded really weird. Oh. I have no idea why I worded that. Father Robert and Mother Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Guys. This is awful, Beth. As soon as they could, investigators went in to check the scene. Police discover three bodies inside the home. From the size of the bodies, they knew two of them belonged to the, the children. children. And the other was an adult. They also saw that Mary's SUV was missing. Police put out a bulletin right away for either Mary or Robert. They didn't know who right, the body. Which one? Right. Mm-hmm. They also wanted to get in touch with both of their jobs, friends, and family. After the bodies were examined by medical examiners, it concluded that yes, the smaller bodies were that of Bobby and Brittany, and the adult body was that of Mary's. So now they're looking for Robert. So now they work to find Robert. It's not believed that he had any part in what happened to his family's death, but he needed to be found. Maybe he had answers to what possibly happened or even worse. He doesn't have any idea what happened to his family and needs to be told the horrible news. They knew that he had the day off and didn't work until later that evening. So maybe he was off running errands or something. But then he didn't show up for a shift at the Mayo Clinic Hospital downtown and a bulletin was put out on his whereabouts. Is he a doctor? or He was a surgical catheter technician at the hospital. Okay. So they put a bulletin out for his whereabouts. And things look suspicious, but remember, innocent until proven guilty. Right. As officers search for Robert Fisher, detectives check the terrible scene left at the Fisher residence after the huge fire. They discovered that the natural gas line from the furnace had been removed as well as the fact that an accelerant had been poured down the hallway of the home, as well as all over the bodies laying in their beds. Holy. They're also, they weren't wasting. I mean, they were making sure that that house was. They also seemed to have left a candle in the middle of the hallway. So cutting that furnace line, it was the home was just being pumped, filled with right. gas. And then they just let they just left a lit candle there in the hallway. Well, they knew what they were doing. Boom. Plus the accelerant. I mean, mm-hmm. they weren't taking any chances. The lead detective at the time, TJ Jaron, knew right away this was no accident. This was a triple homicide. And Robert needed to be found for more answers. Now, keep in mind, the house was absolutely demolished with soot. And I can't even explain the gravity of the damage done to the home, let alone the bodies of the three deceased Fisher family members. Upon further examination, it was discovered that all three, Mary, Brittany, and Bobby, had all had their throats cut. Oh, wow. I can't even imagine how they determined that. I know. Isn't isn't science crazy? Yeah. I hate to get too gruesome here, but I think it needs to be known. The children's throats were cut so deep, they were almost decapitated. Mm. And Mary, besides her throat being cut, she also had been shot in the back of her head. Jeez. More information gathered from the crime scene was that none of Robert's clothes seemed to be found in the home. No remnants. Nothing. Also, we need to note that Robert had a lot of guns. He was an avid hunter and he had many guns. Mm -hmm. From what they could find, few of his guns were missing. One of which matched the bullet used to kill or that that was shot into Mary's head. Now, again, we cannot assume this at all to be done by Robert. Right. We can, but we can't <laughs> because Robert has not been found. Digging into the family, we learn that Robert and Mary met when they were 16 years old. High school sweethearts. They had been married for 16 years. Originally, Robert worked as a firefighter, but suffered a pretty bad back injury. He knew he needed surgery for his back. And in the time between the injury and the scheduled surgery, he worked his booty off and saved a lot of money for the family in case he wouldn't be able to get back to work. Wow. He wanted his family to be taken care of. After surgery, he was unable to work as a firefighter. He took the job as a surgical catheter technician at the hospital. He had many jobs in his adult life. He had been in the Navy, a respiratory therapist, a firefighter. And this was his most recent job before the accident. Mm -hmm. 
This whole situation of his back surgery and a new job placed a lot of stress on the couple. Then Robert confessed to his pastor at the Scottsdale Baptist Church that he had had an affair. He said that he had gone to a masseuse parlor for his lower back pain after the surgery. Got and the happy ending. Gave into <laughs> temptation and cheated on Mary. <laughs> ah, mother. You ruined last week's podcast, and now you're going to ruin this one. His pastor, who was very close with the couple, advised him to tell Mary and ask forgiveness. The two sought out couples therapy with their pastor and seemed to be working past his infidelities. The pastor claimed to never see any red flags that something was very terribly wrong with the couple. But over time, the couple started to fight. Everyone that knew him knew that Robert was greatly affected by his parents' divorce and he believed that divorce was never an answer. Mm. So I guess his father remarried when he was pretty young. And Robert had a terrible time dealing with his stepmom. So he just, he never wanted that for his kids. Mm-hmm. He never wanted them to have to deal with a split family or right. anything. So that just was never an option. But fighting between the two started to become more and more frequent. Rumors say that Mary was pushing for a divorce. Other rumors say that Robert had admitted to another affair. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask their family, it was normal fights, you know, normal couple bickering. But if you were to ask neighbors, these fights were screaming matches. Yay. Mary could be heard screaming as Robert would pack things up, grab his dog, get in his truck and disappear into the woods in northern Arizona for the weekend or just a few days. He would hike, camp, hunt, fish. He would just pack up everything and go excuse me where's the dog with him oh where is he now where's the dog right now we'll see so they would fight and he would run away i mentioned the fighting because the evening before so monday night neighbors heard the couple fighting they heard mary and robert yelling the day had been a normal monday for the couple it had been robert's day off He replaced all the insulation in the family's attic, had the oil changed in his truck, and had run errands around town. Doesn't sound like my kind of Monday. That sounds like (laughs) a very busy day. (laughs) Cramming a lot of stuff in the... This is day off. He's got to get it all done. So that Monday evening, Brittany had an Honor Society award ceremony, and Bobby had a hunter safety class at their church. Each parent took a child to their event and then came home. Around 10 p.m., the fight started. Neighbors claimed to hear the fighting go on until about 1030. These people all have their windows open. Oh, they're really screaming. Jeez. The last piece of timeline the police are absolutely sure about is that at 1040, Robert is seen at a bank ATM about a half mile from the home, retrieving $280. Okay. What's also seen on the ATM surveillance video is Mary's white SUV forerunner, the one that was missing right, yeah, from the time of the house fire investigation. And he has a truck. Mm-hmm. Okay. Robert Fisher is wanted. Bill Cooper, Mary's father, so Robert's father-in-law, yeah. stood as a, he's so positive in the case. It was just gut-wrenching to watch. He had such a positive outlook. He took a stance like with all the media. You see all these microphones in front of this poor man's face and he's just pleading with Robert. He really believes Robert ran away after the fight. And now because everyone was looking for him, he was scared. Mm -hmm. And he just kept saying like, wherever you are, please, we love you. Just please come home. We don't know what's going on. We don't know for sure anything we just want to hear from you please robert come just home want to know you're okay yeah basically unfortunately someone working the case did leak the information about the fact that the case had turned to a homicide to the press so the police were just trying to keep it as just we just want him to we want to make sure he's okay that's kind of what they were putting out there mm-hmm. but then someone leaked to the press that he was going to actually be wanted and that they believed that foul play it had occurred an accident right so then that leaked to the press and then that was all over the news so now we're really not going to come out of hiding they really wanted him to come out of hiding and be like i was up north camping i had right. no idea what happened but then when this got leaked he, there's no way he's going to come out now 
interviewing his family and friends, they also learn a bit about his personality. He was a very controlling guy. Hmm. He was opinionated, very stubborn, very arrogant. He wanted things done a certain pleasant. (laughs) mm, He wanted things done a, a certain way. So the way that she she sucked that down, guys. I'm not even halfway through my story. The way that Mary especially was killed seems very personal to me. That her throat was cut like her children's, yes, but then that being shot in the head. It's overkill. It's, it's kind of like, like an FU shot. Like it just. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that none of his clothes were there. And the fact that he didn't take his truck like he normally did when he went camping. He took her SUV. Mm-hmm. And his dog. And his dog. Because <laughs> the dog's not at the house. I'm worried about the dog. I know you are. <laughs> so, and he was a firefighter back in the day. So he knew. But but he was a firefighter back in the day. So he would know that not all the evidence would be gone. Mm. Or maybe he thought the evidence would be gone with how he did everything he with did the everything. acceleration. Yeah. Excel- when with the accelerator. Wait, used. now we're saying it is him. We don't know. I'm just I'm just playing the what if okay. cards like that were kind of being tossed around. So, again, why did he take Mary's SUV after he filled up his truck with new oil that day? Remember on Monday, he went and got a new oil change in his truck. His truck. But her car, her SUV is the one that's missing. But I guess it needs to be noted, he drove a diesel truck. It's believed that maybe he thought her SUV would be less suspicious. Those diesels maybe, are loud. Maybe. I don't know. Again, I'm just throwing all these ideas out there. I mean, none of it seems super planned. I mean, like, why would you work all day Monday replacing all the insulation, insulation in the attic? And then blow it up the If next you were going to blow up your house. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. All those that knew him said those things about him, about being controlling and stuff. But most all of them also said he was a wonderful employee, a great father, a good husband, very active in his church. But do we know people like do, but do we really know anyone? We don't. We really don't. So in a YouTube video I watched, they showed home videos of the Fisher family. I think I've mentioned before hearing about these bad guys or these, you know, crimes and reading about them. It's one thing. But when you see these home videos of like Christmas time or of Mary rocking baby Bobby in a rocking chair, the video of Bobby and Brittany, they had like this video of them as toddlers on, on a playing on a swing set. And I'm just bawling it was just gut-wrenching to make it so real to me it is that's like last week when i was introducing michelle yeah it's the same thing because you saw this beautiful little girl and it just makes it real real. people it makes it real so i did just kind of yeah we love this podcast we love sharing these stories because it's very interesting but these are real people and sometimes i just get so caught up in i want to solve this unsolved case (laughs) and these were babies. Yeah. Bobby and Brittany were babies. Do you hate to also say Robert did seem like a very attentive, good father. But after all, it's very hard not to watch these videos with this like sinister undertone to them. Right. Did, did they also ask about Mary's personality? I mean, they're looking into Robert. What was Mary like? So I read that Mary at first was kind of submissive to him. But throughout the years, she really was starting to speak her mind and he didn't really like that. Mm -hmm. And then especially, I think, after the affair, she was really starting to stand up for herself. She had a power card. I mean, it's, yeah, good for her. So, like I said, some of these videos, it was hard not to watch them with a sinister undertone. Like, for example, in one video, he's teaching Brittany. She was probably like three years old. He was teaching her how to march with like a little toy gun. And now keep in mind, like, they're a gun families, multiple guns right. hunting, and right, it wasn't right. anything sinister. Just try to stay with me here. So she's just a little three-year-old marching, and he's just teaching her how to march like a soldier. Remember, he was a soldier. So Mary is recording, and Robert is lovingly watching his daughter. He's he's like they're singing a marching tune together, and he catches Mary recording and is like, 
all right, that's enough. Turn the camera off me. And then he takes a toy gun and he slowly points it at Mary and pretends to pull the trigger. No. I am in no way, shape, or form supporting gun violence here. But take a step back. It could have just been a little innocent, like, stop pointing the camera at me, like, playtime. But after everything that's happened, you do watch this with just such a darkness, dark cloud over it. It was very haunting to watch. And then knowing what happens to those poor babies. I mean, they were 10 and 12 when they died. I shouldn't be calling them babies, but I'm a mommy. And just watching those home videos, it was just ugh, gut-wrenching. Mm. Of course, after the homicide of the three, many friends came forward with how Robert made them feel uncomfortable at times and had stories and odd pictures of Robert with stuff all over his face while they were out hunting. Like, I guess some friends reported to stop hunting with Robert because he made them feel unsafe at times. Like, I guess one time they were hunting and they got an elk Mm -hmm. and the guy like one of the guys that was hunting with Robert turns around and finds Robert smearing the blood all over his face. Ew. From the elk. Perhaps he took it to the next level. He enjoyed killing. I don't know. Like maybe you're looking, we're looking into this now thinking that he did it. It was just odd. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it is super odd. And now with this thing happening to his family, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to look into this stuff. Let's just look at it as odd behavior. Because people look at it as odd behavior until then his family goes dead. And then they're like, oh, that was a sign. I probably should have done something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that's hard. There is a giant search for Robert in the area that they lived, as well as all the areas that he's known to go. And many calls were made in. A couple believed to have seen him hiking along a forested road outside of Payson, Arizona. A bartender even believed that he and a woman came into the bar together outside of Payson. He said that the couple came in. The man was wearing a baseball cap low over his face. He ordered a drink and went and stood by a fireplace way off on the other side of the bar away from anyone. The woman he was with had come in with him, went straight to the restroom. She came out of the restroom and she headed straight towards the man and started bickering with him. Then they left. Now, what's interesting about this story is that the next day, a woman matching the description of the woman at the bar came and knocked at a house in the area, crying and asking to use the couple's phone to call a cab. She stated that she and her boyfriend had gotten into a fight and he had left her. Oh, but that's all they know. Then on April 20th, 10... they talked to this woman about who this guy maybe was? I didn't see record of that anywhere. What kind of car did he drive? Did he have a dog? But they couldn't find this woman either. After she asked for a cab, they couldn't find her? No. Why would they go looking for her? She's a random woman that shows up at a couple's house, asks for a cab. But she... Didn't go to the police. No police were called. No, but she looks like the... There was a woman that walked into a bar. (laughs) Is that a joke? (laughs) (laughs) She did. (laughs) But she just looks like a woman that walked into a bar. How do you find a wo- that woman? Put out a picture of a woman that. And I guess they weren't suspicious no. of the couple at the time. No. no. This is just a follow through. Yep. Dang. Okay. I know. Then on April 20th, 10 days after the fire, a man camping out in northern Arizona calls into the police station. While he was hiking, he had come across a vehicle he believed matched the description that police were looking for. Police called for a helicopter to fly over and soon put boots on the ground and discovered it was Mary's SUV. And underneath her SUV was the family dog. He had made himself a bed under the vehicle. He was alive. He wasn't tied up or anything. But there he was. But no Robert. The area was had thick vegetation, many caves. They brought in splunkers. <laughs> That's a funny word to say. <laughs> but the dog had built... A little a nest bed. for himself under the Underneath. car. So he, but he so didn't follow Robert, Robert anywhere. Robert must have been gone quite a while. But why would the and, dog and just why stay at that car? And why didn't he follow him? Yeah. He wasn't on a leash. They brought out cadaver dogs, SWAT team members. They searched and searched until snow moved in and forced them to call off the search. So besides the dog, what they found in the car was, well, nothing. No knives. No guns and even no prints 
The car was wiped, wiped clean. clean. Oh, that is weird. Why? The only DNA evidence they found was on a baseball cap, as well as one fingerprint on a coffee cup left in the cup holder of the vehicle. So, so a cap and a cup. Yeah. Were left. So his baseball cap obviously had his hair in it, and then a coffee cup had one fingerprint on it. That's it. There was also some human feces on the ground outside of the driver's side door. Gross. But other than that, it's like he had vanished in thin air. And why would there be no prints on the steering wheel, on the ignition? Like, nowhere. Not on the door. It had been wiped clean. Almost as if he did have somebody with him. Exactly. I was and then just he wanted to wipe to, it down. I was going, or somebody, somebody bad took him and... And wiped everything because if it was just him, there would be no reason in the world to wipe it down. None mm-hmm. at all. I know. Suicide in one of the caves was an idea. There was so many caves. Mm-hmm. Um, but they searched the caves and found nothing nearby. But these are, you know, tons of caves and they go pretty deep. But nothing. He knew these woods fairly well. He had been going out there to camp, hunt and everything else for years. But... Again, like, why was the dog in the car? He wasn't tied up. Wouldn't he have followed him or wandered off? Like, this dog came with him out to camp and stuff regularly. And people say that he loved that dog more than he loved anything else. I know. I couldn't leave my dog and just walk away. He'd be following me every time. I So maybe he just couldn't bring himself to kill the dog. I mean... You can train a dog to stay, but eventually it will wander off. It's not just going to always stay. Well, especially if they see you going out into the woods and you're not coming back, they're going to try to trace you. Yeah. So maybe he really did go out and leave because of their fight. That's why he had the dog. Maybe he did pack up and leave. They had a fight and he just packed up and left. But again, he didn't take his it's truck. It's something he always did, though. But he didn't but take, he didn't his, take truck. his truck. And he got word of the news and he got scared. I mean, he only took out $280 from their account. That is and after that, the account wasn't even touched. That isn't much. Or if somebody else did the killing and grabbed him and and the dog. I don't know why they'd grab the dog too, but grabbed him and his dog. $280 is not and very I read much money. In one, I read in one place that that was the maximum you could take out at that ATM. But you could go to other ATMs. But you could go to other ATMs. And then that candle that he lit at the crime scene. So he cut the gas line, laid the accelerant, lit the candle. He would have had a good 10-hour head start on the police at that point. Because mm. all they were already dead. And so the gas would just be filling up the home. He left right away. You know, he could have just left the car there, wiped his prints. I don't know. Again, why? Why? And then hitched a ride somewhere or... I don't know. Witnesses claim to have seen a man who looked like him hiking with a backpack up the road, possibly hitchhiking. So the idea of suicide, too. No body, no bones, or even the scent from dogs was found. It is a large area of forest, but nothing. And to this day, nothing. Not even a rusted gun at this point. Jeez. Since then, there have been many reports of Robert Fisher lookalikes out there. One in Guatemala in 2009. I guess this family was taking photos. And there's some guy that was in the background of the picture. And when, after they took the picture, he came up and started harassing them. And he was saying, like, did you take a picture of me? Did you take a picture of me? I've killed before and I'm going to kill again. Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't know. Police <laughs> have the photo. They've not released it. But also, no arrest was made in that situation, mm-hmm. so I don't know. <laughs> it's a fun story, though. Yeah, it is. That's why we have this podcast. There are several of these kinds of stories out there. The closest they thought they were was some guy in White Rock, Canada. I mean, they were so sure they had him. The man looked just like him, had a scar on his lower back from his surgery, as well as was missing a bicuspid, which I guess Robert had had a gold bicuspid. Mm-hmm. So the FBI called one of Fisher's old neighbors who wait, had known wait, him for is years. is this guy dead or the guy in Canada? I'm getting there. I'm telling the story. <laughs> okay. I'm telling the story. So 
the FBI calls one of his old neighbors that had known him for years. They recruited him to go to Canada and pretend that he was being booked so that he could get a better look at this guy. Okay. Yeah. And see if it was Robert or not. So he did. And he said that the guy came into the room, scanned the room like, you know, you do when you Mm -hmm. walk into a room, held his gaze for a while with a look of almost shock on his face. Like, what the hell are you doing here? Mm -hmm. And was quickly escorted out by his lawyer. The old neighbor was so sure it was Robert. He said the way he talked, the way he walked, just absolutely everything. He even called his parents on the way home and was like, yeah, we got him. They got him. It's got to be it. But the police end up letting this man go. Can you guess why? DNA, I guess. It's not Robert. His fingerprints didn't match. Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess the guy's mom came in too and he she's like, what the hell is going on? This is my son. He's Canadian. <laughs> so the only way this case will ever get solved is from you, listeners. Ooh. Here we go. We're going to solve a case, guys. I told the you. challenge is on. <laughs> this man is still wanted. He has been on the FBI's 10 most wanted list since 2002. Holy smokes. There is an $100,000 reward for anyone that gives information that results in his arrest and conviction. Jeez. He has brown hair, blue eyes, stands at six foot tall. At the time of the murder, he would have been 190 pounds. He's of medium build. He had a very distinct walk because of the pain he had in his lower back for so long. He walks like very erect with his chest out. Almost like someone is uncomfortable in a back brace. He would be 59 today. I will be posting pictures. So kind of like they did with John List's bust that they made. Remember how they kind of like age progressed it and Mm -hmm. what they guessed he would look like. That's what the FBI have done here. So I will post all the photos that they've released of different like hairstyles, balding, baseball cap, everything. They have it out there. I will post it all. So obviously his hair and his physique would obviously change over the years. Right. But even though these attributes can change, things like the fact that he enjoyed hunting and camping, he chewed chewing tobacco, also the fact that he was very controlling and arrogant, that's not going to change. Well, the hunting and stuff, you can pull that back. But the I don't think he could, though. That's the thing. I don't think he could. He did it so that was his way of life. That was his passion to be alone in the woods. So, like, the FBI honestly really think that he lives in a small community that, you know, just a bunch of, like, hunters or just... Like-minded people. Very like-minded people in a very small community that might not put two and two together. And he fits right in to their community. Sure. Police urge, if you know anything or suspect anyone, to call the Arizona FBI at 602-279-5511. Or the Scottsdale Police Department at 480-312-5000 or even your local police. And again, I'll post these numbers. A paranormal twist to this. Hey, that's not going to step on your toes, but a psychic was interviewed in this YouTube video I watched. Where is Robert Fisher? Now, this was recorded in 2011. Her name was Carrie Schubert. She used her empathy and connected to Robert. She saw a beach community, the Bahamas or Florida, mm. a small community. She didn't feel like very heavy touristy area. She saw a house, but she's not sure where he worked or lived necessarily. She saw it was like a two story home. The wood was painted gray or like a blue gray with a wraparound porch. She saw him in a kitchen with a woman named Terry with a three or five year old son. Wow, that's pretty specific. Around November, so then like in her, in this same vision, she sees then it's November time frame and she sees three big black guys like bouncers. There's a struggle. And then around November, January, she feels shortly after he took off from that woman. And then in 2012, then she kind of visualizes 2012 and sees he's with another woman. And then she sees he's apprehended. She says he will get caught and apprehended and extradited to Arizona in January of 2013. She knew he was going to get caught. Guys, it's 2020. He's not been caught. (laughs) 
<laughs> she had specifics and then she I know like, she has specifics and then, and then it's very vague bleh. and then yeah <laughs> oh yeah so that is the story of Robert Fisher that's really interesting and I'm sorry I did not know anything about this yeah wow yeah and they're still looking for him that's just crazy guys we're gonna solve a case (laughs) together with our listeners we have got this cheers to that now i shall drink all right i'm really excited to share this with you um i had no idea that this fort was even in existence until we had a listener tell us about it cool listener happens to be a friend of mine but still this is led into really fun paranormal guys send us your stories and we will cover your stories we will use them obviously you don't have to be personal friends we'll use your stories (laughs) this is about fort huachuca never even heard of it fort huachuca in arizona it's a product of the indian wars of the 1870s and 1880s It began as a camp in 1877, established in the Huachuca Mountains. The camp became a fort in 1882. Since then, the fort has been home to different units. The 10th Cavalry Buffalo Soldiers. Oh. The 25th and 93rd Infantry Regiment and the 92nd Infantry Division. I said, oh, like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, the Buffalo sh- Soldiers. Weren't they in Fort Riley? Uh, and Leavenworth. Uh, they yeah. were the the cavalry of um, black soldiers. They made they were That's made right. of all black soldiers that okay. fought. I knew it was for, from a local area. Okay. You know, um, yes, yeah, Buffalo Soldiers are very well known. The headquarters of the U.S. Army Strategic Communications Command and the home of the U.S. Army Intelligence Center and School, which went through some other name changes. And today, the Installation Management Command operates the post. Cool. Okay. Fort Huachuca is the major military installation in Arizona. But, of course, the area has been inhabited for much longer than the fort has existed Due to some amazing archaeology finds, the area is estimated to have been inhabited since 11,000 BC. What? Uh, Crazy. Along with several mammoths. Here in the United States? Arizona, I believe, is in the United States. I know, but that's just... (laughs) Sorry. You hear about that stuff like happening in Europe and stuff, like, but that's that's really cool. Sorry. I sound like a total ignorant idiot. Sorry. The finds were really exciting to me along with several mammoth remains oh my archaeologists also uncovered large projectile points thought to have been spears used to kill the animals oh my gosh that is the coolest thing i know and with that they were able to date the inhabitants the way aiden loves dinosaurs i hope he becomes an archaeologist and digs this stuff up paleontologist yeah paleontologist yeah 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 has taught him that word (laughs) What is now the fort used to be a Native American community. The word Huachuca was used to describe their village at the base of the mountains. The usual translation is place of thunder, but other scholars have translated it as place of wind and rain. All of these are Sounds typical. Like a storm. <laughs> all of these are typical of the area. Yes. Cool. Okay. That's so neat to me. On to the paranormal. Believe it or not, no more history. Here we go. Wow, that's different for mom. (laughs) Usually it's a whole history lesson. There is a lot of paranormal on this post. It is one of the oldest forts in the U.S. So let's start with one of the oldest buildings on the post. So cool. Carlton House. Okay. It was built in 1880 to serve as the hospital. According to legend, it was when the building was a hospital that a young woman died while giving birth to a son. Terrible. The baby was left to the care of the hospital staff. He died a few days later. It is thought that the young woman may have been the daughter of an officer on the post and that the child was illegitimate, which would mean that not only would the family not accept the baby, but also not bury him. Oh, my gosh. He may have been buried in or nearby the hospital's basement. 
After the building was a hospital, it was used as an officer's mess, post headquarters, a cafe, you and explain what an officer's mess is. It's not like a mess you make, but it's like the mess hall, right? <laughs> like food. I'm sorry. I'm I'm an You're an officer's I, daughter. You're I'm an, an army, army brat. <laughs> And so I, it's an officer's names, mess. And I was like, these mm. names just kind of slide <laughs> off. Okay. So an officer's mess is the cafeteria. I mean, yeah. it's a place they eat. I mean, I'm a I, mess hall. Yes. Yep. I assume so, but I just wanted to make I'm sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> Post headquarters, a cafe and a schoolhouse. Then it became a residential home for officers and their families, which is what it is today. Cool. Same house. Hasn't cool. been changed. It's just weird. Cool. In residence today is also what seems to be two spirits. One of which is a little boy. Maybe a student who died when the building was a schoolhouse? Hmm. I don't know. The little boy has made himself known a few times. One night an officer was in the kitchen studying for an exam. The house was very quiet. Did he, he make a mess? The house <laughs> was very quiet she hates when me. he heard a child's voice saying, Daddy. Oh. Daddy. The man turned to the sound, but no one was there. And he checked on his son. He was fast asleep in his room. Another resident reported the doorbell ringing. When answering the door, there was nobody there. And there was no time at all for anyone to have left the door because he happened to be right Right. close to the door. Okay. This continued for such a long time that the man disconnected the doorbell. (gasps) Can you imagine? My dogs would be going crazy. That would be a hell exactly. house. Exactly. No. Yet another story has a young girl's jewelry box being moved from its usual location to the middle of her room. Okay, that's weird. More often seen is a young woman dressed in a white gown. Flowing white gown. Uh, <laughs> these ladies need to mix it up, man. <laughs> I'm going to be in like a bright fuchsia gown. When I come back to haunt you. (laughs) Thanks for letting me know. Okay. (laughs) Is she looking for her baby? Oh, that just got sad. Mom. (laughs) Could this be the young woman that died? That's awful. Furniture in the house has moved by itself. Noises and voices have been heard. Nope. And there is a part of the living room that is always cold. Could this be where the woman died giving birth to her baby? There are quite a few reports from Colonel Strom and his family who lived in the Carlton house. When they first moved into the house, the family put some boxes in a bedroom a few steps below the level of the rest of the house. This room, just to give you information, this room had been the location of the morgue during the hospital time of the house. Yeah, I'd want to live there. Sounds good. (laughs) Later that evening, the contents of those boxes had been thrown all over the room. Oh. A few days later, they were finally able to hang pictures in the living room. I guess the walls aren't regular walls. They're like these... Like the cinder blocks? No, they're wood. They're these wood... They're wood walls? Wood. I don't know. (laughs) Just scratch that because I don't know. Okay, good story. (laughs) It, It... It's hard. It's very difficult to hang things on these walls. Okay. The next morning, the pictures were on the floor. Oh. They had also hung a large brass decoration on the wall, which was found bent nearly in half, and it could not be bent back even a little by hand. Oh, gosh. That's kind of scary. That's weird. Joan Strom, the colonel's wife, must have been a very compassionate woman, I think, because not only did she give the spirit of the young girl a name, she named her Charlotte, but she also made the cold part of the living room into Charlotte's space. A resident followed... Oh my God, I love that. I know, she was just giving, I guess... She just welcomed it, just kind of like, that's adorable. Love that. I don't know about adorable, but it's... (laughs) It was very kind. (laughs) A resident following the Stroms put a rocking chair for Charlotte in the space. That's adorable. To which day? To To which day? Which to this day is still in the house. It's still there? The rocking chair. Mom, that's adorable. In the space. She rolled her face at me. 
Mrs. Strom also reported that one night she saw a young woman at the end of the hallway. <laughs> she thought it was her teenage daughter, but looking into her daughter's bedroom, found her tied asleep. Another time, as she was putting clean towels away, Mrs. Strom said she was surrounded by a white mist. Oh. It was eerie, but not frightening or even cold or damp. Perhaps it was Charlotte giving her a hug or something. Or dryer sheets. No, she didn't say it smelled that way. (laughs) (laughs) The Stroms are not the only residents that have shared their experiences. A teenage daughter that lived in the home came back from a night out. She had promised her mother that she would check in when she got home. And she did just that, calling out to a woman at the end of the hall (gasps) who she thought was her mother. When questioned the next morning why she had not checked in the night before, the teen adamantly stuck to her story. The mother believed her and thought it was probably Charlotte who the teen had spoken to the night before. Any teenagers listening? Guys, that's a really good excuse for your parents. If you know your house is haunted. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I told you I was home. I saw you at the end of the hall. I told you I was home. I must have been Charlotte. That or George. I told you, Dad. This one to me is really creepy another resident told the story of the time she was looking at herself in a handheld mirror when all of a sudden she saw a young woman's face in the mirror was she old (laughs) oh i think that would not be creepy that'd be awesome like oh look how good i look i think she saw like two faces well it's a handheld mirror so it's gonna be small Okay, just seeing another face beside my own would be creepy. It would. It would scare the bejeezies out of me. The bejeezies. The bejeezies out of me. Good grief. Residents claim that Charlotte watches over their small children. One such story goes like this. The post chaplain and his family lived in the house during which time their little girl became sick. One night, the couple put the daughter in between them to sleep. In the morning, the little girl was gone from the bed. Oh, no, more vanishing children. And they found her in the rocking chair, tied asleep. She told them that Charlotte had led her to the chair and had rocked her to sleep. Oh, see, that's adorable. That's kind of (laughs) spooky. Now, things in the house are not all ghostly, nice, sweet, and adorable. (laughs) There is a cellar room where the water heater is housed. Upon entering it, many people have felt an overwhelming feeling of dread, so much so that they can't stay in the room. Ooh, I wonder why. In the very few investigations that have been permitted in the home, psychics have concluded that it is very possible that Charlotte's baby was buried in or very near to that room. Yeah, we know how psychics can tell their stories. <laughs> it kind of goes with yours. <laughs> <Let's>, yeah. <laughs> Remember the rocking chair in the house? it's not a good idea to move it oh as you will hear in the following personal stories sent in by a good friend of mine Malia who lived at Fort Huachuca but not at not at the Carlton house I have to preface this with a little description of Malia because I am going to totally use her words and uh, I'm totally going to quote her story okay Malia is extremely intelligent, very level-headed, like there's no gray. It, it's one way or the other. It's very black and white. Right. I mean, and I love that about her because she's very outspoken. Yeah. And she's just, she's real. She is just real. Anyway, that being said, I had to explain that to you because I'm going to go into her story now. And this is all a quote from her. Okay. We were on the waiting list to move from temporary student housing into permanent party housing which was a lot nicer. We could see that we were close to the top of the list, but weren't holding our breath because the big season for people moving was already over. The housing officer told us that it would be a few months, so we settled in. But then we suddenly got a house. Oh. We didn't think much of the quick change because people get orders, families change plans, etc., and have to move suddenly all the time. This is the military. (laughs) But the maintenance crew and some of the neighbors remarked that the family had moved out right after moving in. That's a lot of work. Some mail came to the house for them, and I remembered noticing the name because it was a unique name. I remembered that they were on the list ahead of us. Usually the only way you would move up like this is if the person turned down the house. But the family had accepted the house and had moved in 
and then moved out in what seemed mm. like two or three months. Oh, no. Odd. Mm. Okay. Well, they moved into the house. <laughs> we weren't living there long before I started noticing weird things. Oh, gosh. Pictures would seem to fall off the walls, but I figured, eh, crappy drywall. <laughs> there was one section of a room that always seemed cold. Not one room, which is common in a lot of houses, right. but one section of a room. Very odd. She says, I'm a science nerd, so I tried to figure it out by standing there when the heat would turn off and on, even though this spot was nowhere near any of the vents. My dad taught me a trick about taking a match and holding it near things to see if air was seeping in. Okay. So I did that along the cracks of the wall. And I can just see her doing this. <laughs> I tried multiple things, but nothing could explain why this particular spot in this room would be cold. So odd. I'll stop here to explain that this particular neighborhood on the base is next to the historic cemetery. I've also heard stories about the historic homes on the other side of my neighborhood. They are from the 1800s and have a lot of history. One in particular used to be the morgue and is known as Carlton House. Oh. I had a chance to go into the house a few times because I knew the person who was living there. And there definitely was a weird feeling in the house. But I always figured that it was just because I had heard the stories. Mm-hmm. One of the chaplain's wives was very open about the fact that her husband was asked to bless that home after a former resident was, quote, pushed, in the resident's words, down the stairs. Oh, my gosh. I remember that former resident being in a cast and on crutches, <gasps> but I never knew what had happened. Oh, my gosh. There was a rocking chair that no one was allowed to move in that house. Oh, my had, gosh. It was still there? Had... I told you to this day, the rocking chair is there. I know, but I just didn't. Had the you. resident tried to move it? Ooh, she wasn't yikes. sure. So back to my house. The big thing that convinced me something was really wrong was when the stove slash oven would turn on by itself or change settings. That ain't right. The first time was shortly after we moved in when I was cooking Thanksgiving dinner. I set the oven to preheat on one temperature, and then came back and it was on a totally different temperature. I figured maybe one of the kids had moved it or my husband had bumped it or even I had mistakenly thought I set it. But I cook a lot and that just seemed like a weird thing for me to do. But the logical part of my brain said with the move and the rush of Thanksgiving, anything was possible. Mm -hmm. Maybe the knob was loose. Sure. But then it continued to happen. I would set the oven, walk away, come back, and it would be on a different setting or temperature. Once or twice, I walked in and the oven or the stove was on, and I knew I had not turned it on. Oh, that is really scary. After a while and several accusations to my kids, so she was no. yelling at her kids, <laughs> I got frustrated and started really paying attention. At least twice. No one had gone into the kitchen and it would be on a different setting or turned off when I had turned it on or vice versa. So now I'm freaked out a little bit. Yeah. Then one day the neighbor across the street whose husband worked with mine said, I hope this doesn't sound strange, but I have a question. She asked me if I thought there was something in our house. In my head, I was thinking, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> but I stayed calm and said, why are you asking me that? She said that the lady who had moved in before me, the one that would only live there, there for, for two or three bit. months, yes. was waiting for her husband to come back from deployment and was there alone. She swore there was something in the house and that is why she moved out so quickly. Gosh, that's so scary. I later confirmed this with some of the chatty maintenance crew who said they, <laughs> I love it. they didn't want to spook me that story to follow. I immediately started hanging crucifixes in every room. Oh, yes. <laughs> so again, it's still winter time, and we're running the heat. We lived in the mountains of the Arizona, and if you're unfamiliar with this area, it gets very cold and even snows. So running the heat was necessary. Two times in one week, I woke up to freezing temperatures. I would go downstairs 
and the air conditioner was on instead of the heat. Oh my gosh. Of course, I wondered if if it was my kids (laughs) and they insisted it wasn't. Two of my kids weren't even tall enough to reach it and wouldn't have known what to do. My husband was out of town. This wasn't a dial that was easily moved or sensitive enough to slowly fall down. It was an actual switch that had to be flipped from heat to off, then cold. Left to right, not up and down where it could have slipped. She's very logical. It happened again while we were out one day. That was when I decided to call maintenance. I didn't give them my suspicions about a ghost, but as I started explaining it, they kept looking at each other. Oh my gosh. They couldn't explain how it could have happened and again suggested the kids. When I told them that it happened when we weren't home, they got really quiet. It was at that point that I said, oh, come on, just tell the truth. Did the lady who lived here before me move out because she thought the house was haunted? (laughs) (laughs) They seemed to be relieved that they could come out and say that was exactly what had happened. Oh, my gosh. After this, I got holy water. (laughs) (laughs) She went all out. And blessed chalk, etc. I was really nervous to mention it to my priest. But as soon as I said where I lived... The people in the office responded, oh, yeah, we hear that problem all the time from that neighborhood. Oh, my gosh. After a while, things calmed down a bit. But for the rest of our time there, things would fall off the counters that were nowhere near the edge. I would hear children laughing and talking in the middle of the night. Of course, I checked, and it was not my kids or the neighbors. It literally sounded like they were in the walls. Oh, oh, oh. That... There was nothing on the other side of the wall that it could have been. That's really creepy. That I felt something sit on the bed several times when I was wide awake just watching TV. So it wasn't (gasps) like I was asleep and, you know, it was some kind of sleep confusion. Oh, my gosh. At some point, I got the idea that whatever this was wasn't trying to hurt me, but maybe just wanted to be there. Mm -hmm. Because we were so close to the cemetery, I felt that the least I could do was try to make peace with it. I also got the impression that it was a kid. I don't know why. I just felt like it was a child. So when the activity got a bit much, I would say, okay, that's enough now. As if I was talking to one of my own kids, it would calm down a bit for a few days. (laughs) And that was all right with me. Oh my gosh, I love it. Because two of my four kids were really young at the time, I didn't mention it to them. I didn't need to scare them to go to sleep, especially with my husband being deployed. Of course. Years later, I mentioned it to them and they all swore they thought something was in the house too. How crazy. They started telling me stories of the problems they were having. One said someone was always whispering to her in her room. Oh no. Another one kept complaining about stuff being knocked down off the shelf, no matter how many times they put it up there. (laughs) And the other two kept saying that they heard children laughing and giggling. They heard children too. We all agreed that it seemed like a child. And they said that they understood why now every house after that, I've insisted on holy water crucifixes and blessings. (laughs) I love it. Yes. (laughs) My husband and sissy didn't notice any of this stuff. But when pressed, he'll say that he saw things, but... Explained them away. (laughs) He wasn't home as much as we were because of deployments. Maybe whatever it was didn't want to upset him. Don't know. We did sense if it was a child. Yeah, we didn't have any issues at any other homes, so luckily it didn't follow us. Whatever it was, that's good. Malaya, thank you very much for sending that in. It was great. Oh my gosh, I loved that. It was. It was great. Yeah, that was fantastic. She was a little nervous about sharing it. And I'm like, oh, gosh, Why? come on. That I believe is this. So cool. I believe this stuff, too. So just, yeah, send it my way. What an experience, though. Thank goodness it wasn't anything darker than that. No, but that's really cool. Yeah, it was. It, it was so much fun. I was so excited to share this with you. Thank you so much, Malia. I loved that. Guys, if you have stories of your own, email them to us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to do this again. And if you don't feel comfortable with us using your name, that's fine too. That's we absolutely always, fine too. We always ask before we use your stories. So, you know, don't feel like 
we're going to disclose who you are if and you if want to keep it. Been anywhere, even if you don't want to post your story, you just want to post pictures or send them to us. Send them to us. If you just want to like, hey, oh my gosh, I went to the cross and I have to share this. I don't want you to share it on the podcast, but I want to share this picture with you. I want to see it. Yeah, me too. Email it to us or message us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We are also on Patreon. There are two full episodes out there extra and you get episodes on Saturday instead of Monday. Monday. Yep. And pretty soon sometime down the road, we're going to have some swag. I'm pretty sure we're working on it. We are definitely working on that. Hey, how about some masks with killer hangover podcast wear masks you might as well sponsor killer hangover (laughs) podcasts next week we'll be covering stories from pennsylvania oh yeah i got the true crime don't i yes (laughs) i got some spooky oogies for you well this was another great podcast mom it was this i was really excited about this was so cool i was really excited (laughs) that was awesome thank you guys for joining us all right mom this was fun it was Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.